You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So we got some preliminaries to get to, so let's just get to it quickly. Today is Redskins Day, kind of, but it's just, it's whatever. There's a lot of stuff hanging out there. I want to talk about Looney to the tight end and all that stuff. But the biggest one, and it's been kind of a couple days trying to sort this out, and it's really annoying, and I'm not super happy about it, but it is what it is. Um, I, I've, some of you might have noticed that you cannot donate to the GoFundMe page anymore. It says that I shut it down. That's not technically true, but here's the situation. Basically, I'm a dummy. The charity that I told you about that was in Madison that supports childhood cancer, it's not called the Madison Childhood Cancer Foundation. That is a different childhood cancer foundation. Now, I found out about it because somebody said, hey, did you know this was not in Madison? I said, what are you talking about? Of course it is. It says Madison right there. Madison was the name of the child that this fund was, was made for. So I was like, well, whatever. It's still childhood cancer. The one in Madison was just kind of made up anyways. I was like, I don't know. I'll just pick a random one. I live in Madison, whatever. So I didn't really care. The problem is when I looked into it, I hadn't seen any activity for a couple years. I reached out to them. Hey, can you guys give me some information? What are you guys up to? Maybe you can come on the show and talk about the kinds of things that you get. Nothing. I reached out on Facebook. Nothing. So now I'm panicked because I'm thinking this is $1,000 of my listeners' money that's going to go into a black hole. So I contacted GoFundMe. They said it's fine. We'll redirect it to the charity that you wanted it to go to, which is the charity in Madison that goes to support childhood cancer, which is called the Badger Childhood Cancer Network. However, we got to shut this thing down. You got to tell everybody, and then we'll redirect the funds as they are. Which the upsetting part is that we're stuck at just a little over a thousand because I was really hoping we can get to two thousand, and I really wanted to send the money on Christmas. But the good vibe fairy tale story that I wanted to create in my mind ended because I'm a dummy. Now, again, I know there are skeptics who are going to think this sounds shady, whatever. You are going to be. You're going to have the opportunity to get your money back if this is just entirely off-putting. I would just encourage you to go to Badger Childhood Cancer Network, look at what they do, understand that this is absolutely where I said your money was going in the first place, and encourage you to please not take your money back from this organization because it is going to childhood cancer. Don't punish them because I'm a dummy. I'm very, very, very excited that we raised $1,000. So, um... Part of this is that I have to put a post in the GoFundMe. So I'm going to put a post up with, you know, all this information. I'm going to put the Badger Childhood Cancer Network in there so you can look at it and everything else. And then GoFundMe is going to follow that up with a message that is telling you that it is being redirected to the Badger Childhood Cancer Network so that you know that it's real. I'm not just redirecting it to my PayPal. And then they're going to give you the opportunity to take your money back out. And again, don't do that. All right, don't give me this fake outrage nonsense just so you can get your money back because you want a little bit extra kit Christmas money. If you have a problem, contact me and we'll work it out. Coolio, feel free to uh, send me a nasty gram on uh, whatever platform you choose. I'm probably not going to be super polite about it, but I understand a little bit. I've been uh, sending nasty grams in my own mind for the last couple of days. So anyways, it is what it is. Raise $1,000 for the Badger Childhood Cancer Network which is the Cancer Network for Children in Madison, Wisconsin. <sighs> Anyways, what else? Oh, uh, we had a giveaway. Still haven't heard anything yet, at least I don't think. If I'm wrong, I apologize. 
But the winner of the competition, this is day number two, is Mr. Matthew Johnson, a.k.a. MJ1524. It's a very common name, so sorry to any other Matthew Johnsons that are listening. But on Instagram, MJ1524, you are the winner of a signed uh, Johnny Holland thing or Chuck Mercian jersey. By thing, I mean 8x10 picture. Just couldn't think of it in the moment. So hit me up, man. You got today and tomorrow to get back to me, otherwise we're going to do another drawing. Speaking of, I've got more giveaways in mind. I like doing it, man. I mean, it really hasn't had any effect on the show, but I enjoy doing this. Jacob got me into this giveaway stuff, and now I just want to keep this train moving. So I got a new one for you. I don't have as cool a stuff as Jacob has to give away, but it's pretty cool. So here's the new thing. Ready? Some of you may have noticed in the Facebook group I posted up this thing that I made. If you go into the Facebook group, it is pinned to the top. Basically, it's an advertisement. But I figure, rather than throwing money at Facebook to say, hey, spread this around to people, see what they like, I thought it would be cooler to have people that actually listen to the show endorse the show, i.e. share this ad and say something like, yeah, it's a good podcast or something. So how this is going to work, and I kind of went back and forth on this, but I I don't really want it to be, I was going to say whoever gets the most likes on one of their shares, but I don't want it to be too spammy, like, hey, if, you know, somebody's going to re-share this somewhere and be like, hey, give me a bunch of likes so I can win a t-shirt, that's not authentic. So I want it to be as authentic as possible, meaning if you don't like the show, don't bother sharing it, because I don't want you to lie about it. But if you like the show, just share it, say it's a good show, and there's no limit on the amount of shares, and every share is an entry. So if you share it to your family, and you share it to a group that you have, or a bunch of groups that you are in, those all count. Now try to make it relevant. Don't share it to the uh, Kansas City PTA Association for Moms Who Like to Bake Facebook group, because that's kind of a waste. You get what I'm saying, right? I mean, when I pay Facebook 20 bucks, I can tell them, please just give this to Packers fans. So if I'm asking you to do it and you send it somewhere nonsensical, I'm going to end up just going back to Facebook, and I don't want to because I want to just give you guys stuff. It's better that way. So I'm going to try it out, and I'm going to do a little bit of A-B testing because I'm going to have another ad that I am going to give money to Facebook, and we'll see how this pans out. But get in the Facebook group, share this, say whatever you want to say. I don't care. Just remember I can actually read it, so don't say something crazy. Like, hey, like this even though it's a trash podcast because I'm not going to be your friend after that. And the winner of that will have the opportunity to pick any t-shirt out of the Teespring store, and I will send it to you for free. Just a t-shirt, though, not a hoodie, sorry. Maybe next time if this works out, I'll up the ante. I just want to see how this goes. So go to the Facebook group, share the post that's there, the one that has the phone with my podcast, Apple Podcast, Google, all that stuff. It's, it's at the top. I don't know how you can mess that up. So share that, and you're entered to win a free t-shirt out of the store. And again, you get to pick which one you want cool Aaron Rodgers one, Crosby one, D-Train one, whatever. It doesn't matter. If you really want something else, just let me know. I'll check the pricing on it. Maybe we can work something out. I don't know. Only other thing I ask, we're at 296 iTunes ratings. Please, just need four more. Anyways, it's a very long intro. I told you there was a lot of preliminaries, so that's why I wanted to get to it quickly. Let's take a break and we'll talk about the Redskins. Mm. Be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. We got one more day 
So it's it's time for those last minute. Pe- Th- these are my people, by the way. Saturday, when I talk about vivid seats, I'm talking to my people. Because every time I do stuff, it is super last minute. Last Packer game I went to was like day of. Got a call, dude. You want to go to the game? I need an answer like now because you need to start driving so we can get going. So I talked to the wife, you know, threw a pair of jeans in the dryer because they were in the wash, and then just out the door, gone, done. Let's go. So. I know there are some people that do stuff spur of the moment. And the funny thing is you don't even know that you're going. And then all of a sudden, a person like me comes on and they're like, dude, just just stop for a second and think, what if? I'm talking to you. What if? I'm, you know, primarily Wisconsin people. Maybe you hop on a plane. That seems a little extreme. But, you know, just from a time perspective, that's a lot. But, you know, two-ish hours away, dude, why not? Tickets are pretty cheap. In fact, I just got a message, I think, yesterday. Like, thanks for the heads up on the tickets being cheap, because the wife and I, we're going. Yes! My people right there. I know there's one, at least one other person that's like, you know what? Yeah, we're going. Here's what you do, man. You whip out your phone, download the Vivid Seats app That's app in uh, French. Super multilingual. You're automatically enrolled in Vivid Seats Rewards, which means you get points back because you're going to be doing this a lot. 100% buyer guarantee, so stuff doesn't go all messed up, and they're like, Psh, you're not getting your money back. Nope, you got it back. No problem. No, well, there might be questions. I don't know. I won't speak for them. And then, if it's your first time, if you're a first timer, that's okay. Enter promo code overtime, and you're going to get some money back up to 100 bucks. Probably not in this game because they're $79 tickets. At least they were. So I'd be surprised if they give you 100 bucks, but it would be a little bit of money. Maybe you start looking at $100 when you go get tickets to that, you know, San Francisco game or, or uh, San Diego. Or where do they work? Where, where is their thing now? Los Angeles. Super expensive. Either way, deals galore. Let's get back to the show. Coffee's starting to hit, man. <laughs> it's coffee plus I slept in till 5, so I'm like, boom, ready to take on the world. Also probably should take a shower because, woof. To be fair, my son's got like 103 fever and slept on me all night. It's like having a heating pad on top of you all night. So leave me alone. So let's start talking about the James Looney thing because I think maybe it's just for fun and I'm 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 reading too much into what people are actually reading into and they're just having fun with it whatever. Maybe they actually understand the situation. Here's what I think is going on, which is just further proof that the 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 head honchos over at the Packers organization clearly listen to this podcast. They take it very seriously. I'm like the number one consultant, you know, basically. They listen for my advice, and they're like, all right, we got to implement this. Because what I had said not oh so long ago was, as much as I don't like people constantly saying, we should try them at safety, we should try them at safety, we should try them at... Safety is like a position that everyone just assumes is not really a position. It's just when you're not good at football, we just put you there, right? If you're a corner and you're not very good, just throw them at safety, because that's that's super easy anyways. You just got to stand there and, like, run really fast in the direction when the ball's near. It's, it's dumb. And that... that general kind of attitude annoys me. However, what I did say was, if you're going to cut a guy like Demarius Randall, although this was probably behavioral for him, but in general, if you're planning on cutting a guy, why not try him somewhere else? Just try it out. And if it doesn't work, who cares? You were going to cut him anyways. But if you've had this thing in the back of your head, like maybe he could do it, maybe he could do it. What is it going to hurt? Now, what I had also said to that is the, the, the one negative is that you're putting him somewhere and you're taking away snaps from someone else during practice and everything else, but whatever. And really, I think that's what this is. I think Looney is basically just about to get cut, but before they cut him, they're like, you know what? We had this kind of crazy idea a long time ago. Like when we drafted him, like, this guy would be a better tight end than a defensive lineman. <laughs> you kind of chuckle about it a little bit. Maybe even like a throwaway line at one point. Like if he doesn't turn 
this doesn't work out as a defensive lineman, we're going to have you cut weight a little bit and uh, go catch some balls, which really is, I mean, it can work out. Who was who was the uh, the badge? Oh, maybe it was the other way around. I think T.J. Watt was a tight end. And then they're like, you know what? Why don't you do a couple push-ups, eat a couple cheeseburgers, and we'll see if you can go get quarterbacks. And that obviously worked out pretty well. I think that's who it was. That or it was the other way around that it was a guy that I'm pretty sure he was a tight end first, though. So I think it was T.J. But, it, I mean, it's a whole new position. It's going to take some time. But the bottom line is he's, like, super athletic for his size. So if he cuts a little bit of weight, he's presumably going to be really fast. He's real agile based on his numbers. The problem is there's still a whole other element of being a tight end, right? There's there's the can you block, can you run block, can you pass block, can you even understand how offenses work and reading offenses, getting into offensive, you know, learning the playbook and the vernacular. I'm sure you know some of it. You're not coming in completely cold, but it's not just like, boom, yeah, no problem. Like I, I walk past Aaron Rodgers, so I know how this works. And when he calls a check and he expects everyone to just, boom, know what they're talking about, yeah, I could totally do. No, man, that's going to take a while. There's also the route running aspect. I know you're agile, but there's more to route running than just, you know, a quick three cone time or something, you know? There's timing, there's misdirection, and, you know, you tr- trick the guy in front of you like, oh, I'm going to go this way. Nope, ha <laughs> going that way. And being subtle in your movements and, what you know, whatever. There's a lot to learn here that he, I don't think he's ever done. Plus, there's just the whole thing of, like, can you catch passes? Like, are you going to drop this if I throw it to you, or are you actually going to catch this? And I'm not just talking about, like, a quick screen like, if you're running a seam, and, you know, you're kind of still slow and lumbering, but for some reason you're wide open, because they're like, I'm not even going to cover this fat dude, I don't care. And you're 25 yards down the field and huffing it, and Aaron Rodgers launches it 31 yards. Can you track this over your head and catch it over your sh- the other shoulder? or Like, is that a thing you can do? Can you stay on your feet and run it? Lots of questions. So, I, I I mean, this is beyond a long shot. And the way people are talking is, cool, he's going to be a tight end now. We'll see him next week, and he'll be lined up, and we'll see what he can do. No, absolutely not. Now, I don't know, maybe they've been working on this for a while, and he is kind of up to speed already, and they that's why they put the designation, like, boom, it's official, he's a tight end. Maybe I'm wrong, and we will see, and that's awesome. But in, in my opinion, that's what how I'm reading this right now. He's basically going to get cut, but we thought, before we cut him, let's just try this out, see how it works. But it's probably not going to work. I mean, I know Jimmy hasn't been all that great, Mercedes hasn't been all that great, and Tanyan hasn't been all that great, and Sternberger hasn't been all that great, but we really expect Looney to be better than Jimmy Graham, Mercedes Lewis, Jay Sternberger, and Robert Tanyan. Again, fully acknowledging that they haven't been all that impressive, these are career tight ends. Jimmy Graham understands intellectually the position. Mercedes Lewis intellectually understands very much this position. Tanyan has some aspects that are impressive, and and Sternberger was drafted because he's a very impressive tight end in a lot of different areas. He needs some refinement, but still. In other words, I'm expecting nothing from him as a tight end, but I'm very, very encouraged that they're doing it because it seems dumb, but it's a very simple question to me of, why not? Unless there's, like, somebody you really want to pick up, but look at the guys we're picking up. It's just because. Like, I don't know. I mean... This, this returner isn't working out. Let's get rid of him and bring in this guy. Why? He's also terrible. Well, what do you want me to do? There's nobody available. There's no good players available. I, I You know, wh- what are my options here? So, again, that that's my thought on Loon. Now, it would be awesome if it works. And if it works, the Packer fans are never going to stop with this whole mix and match thing. Dude, Ibrahim Campbell is a really good tackler. Not super great in coverage. Maybe we could put him at nose. I mean... Do a couple shoulder presses, man. In the offseason, think about it. Tacos and shoulder presses. I mean, uh, he's just a tackling machine. Let's try... I, I'd let, again, let's not get crazy. But, again, my biggest takeaway here is good for the Packers for just saying, why not? And if it doesn't work, which it probably won't, then we'll cut him. 
So my expectation is they're going to cut him. But, you know, whatever. Anyways, them's my thoughts on that. As for the game now, uh, looking at the Washington Redskins' current injury report, uh, DeShazer Everett is officially out at safety. Trey Quinn, the wide receiver, their slot receiver, is officially out. Paul Richardson is officially out. And I know yesterday I spent the whole time talking about, look, we can't underestimate the team. They're not as bad as everyone's making them out to be. Please understand that what I'm saying is they're very bad, okay? They're, they are very, very bad, and we should win this, and it should be relatively convincingly. I'm just, I'm just, I want you to understand they're not as bad, but this, I mean, this is terrible. They're not only a really bad team, but the, the injuries, two wide receivers, and they still have Terry McLaurin. He's a good wide receiver. We got to have an answer for that. Now, I think the very, very obvious answer is it has to be Jair, and not just because I think he's a better corner, which I do. The guy is six foot and runs a four three five. I'm not putting Kevin King anywhere near this guy, and I'm not even trying to trash Kevin King, right? There are certain guys, I'm dead serious. If this guy was six foot three, and I know King is fast, but if he was six foot three and ran like a four four five, like, oh, okay, give me, let me give you an example of another rookie, um, DK Metcalf. If we see the Washington Redskins, I only want Kevin King on DK Metcalf. I don't want Jair anywhere near him. DK Metcalf is Kevin King, just at wide receiver, and I, I know DK is a, a freakish giant strong I, I don't care the guy coming out of college and I, he, he's a little bit better as far as oh what he can only run a, you know he's running better routes than people thought but I think he's stiff enough that Kevin King can can lock this guy down and I, I stand by what I said and that would be like the ultimate because this guy doesn't lose on go routes he is a master of just winning in the end zone and Kevin King will never allow I mean once you get down in there like if you're running a go route on Kevin King trying to get a touchdown it's not going to work if you're within the 20 trying to get a touchdown on Kevin King I don't think it's going to work. Now, if you're on your 50 and you throw a pass in the general direction of Kevin King, you got a shot. So understand, this is not a Kevin King trash session. I'm actually coming around. I think the fact that he's been healthy, I know he's got a little dinged up now, but he should be fine. Um, he's been much more impressive this year than any other year. Not what this is about. Dude is six foot tall, runs a 4-3-5. Small, fast, shifty. I want Jair. I mean, six foot isn't small, small, but it's not 6-3, all right? But, I mean, you look at their wide receivers, and their group is essentially Terry McLaurin, Kelvin Harmon, Paul Richardson, and Trey Quinn. Those are their four guys. Two of those guys are out. Now, granted, Terry McLaurin and Kelvin Harmon are their top two, but it's basically Terry, Mc Terry McLaurin and, and nobody. It's, it looks a lot like the Packers wide receivers. We just have more of them than they do, and they don't have very many. So what I, I'm assuming this is going to be is Terry McLaurin is going to be on the boundary. Kelvin Harmon is going to be on the other boundary. And by the way, the other reason that this is perfect and Jair needs to be on, on um, Terry McLaurin, Kelvin Harmon is the big dude. Six foot two, ran a four six, right? He's just the big, tall, go up and get it guy. Not saying he's useless in other, any other way. This is the kind of guy I look at that's coming into it like, look, I may not be the most polished, but I'm bigger than you and I'm just going to beat you in the air that I'm like, dude, <laughs> you go ahead and try to do that with Kevin King, all right? Try it. It's not going to work. I've never seen Kevin King get out-muscled by anybody. Now, a simple curl route, yeah, it'll kill Kevin King. But, I mean, you're, you're just trying to muscle? Nah, dude, that's not how that works. Kevin King, it looks tall and lanky. He's like Joe Pesci in Casino. Right? You look at him, and it's like, who's this guy going to muscle? And in reality, he's going to absolutely destroy you. So, again... I've been pretty harsh on Kevin King, primarily just because everyone's super positive, but I think it's kind of balanced now, so I can kind of back off a little bit, except for people that say he's great. I'm just going to keep just coming for your throat. However, again, Kevin King wears the green and gold. He's my guy. I'm all, I'm all for it. I want him to succeed very, very much. And I'm telling you, and you know I'm going to be honest, 
Kelvin Harmon at six foot two, runner four six, saying, "Don't worry, I'll just muscle him around." I've got the biggest grin on my face because that's not going to work. I've never seen it work. When does that work? Julio Jones couldn't muscle him. Julio Jones is a big, giant monster. Granted, he's really fast too, but Kevin King's fast. But Julio's like, dude, don't worry, I'm just going to muscle him around, and then you know, I'll outrun. You're not going to outrun him, and you're not going to muscle him. The only way you're going to beat him is with really quick, crisp routes. That will kill him every time. But bigger and stronger and, and faster in a straight line, it's, it's never worked. Not going to work. Sorry. Sorry, Kelvin, 6'2", 221. Sorry, dude. I know you were an awesome bully in college. Not going to work against Kevin King. So I'm feeling good about it. I mean, to be completely honest, and I don't even think it's relatively close, if I had to guess who's going to have a better day, assuming it's Jair on Terry McLaurin and King on Harmon all day, which it won't be because that's just not, never how these things work. The Packers very rarely, and actually let me look it up really quickly so I can be very specific. The Packers very rarely do shadow coverage. There was a four-week period, four weeks in a row, where they did shadow, um, but that was in weeks three, four, five, and six. They haven't done it since. And what they had done, and maybe they'll do it, maybe it's just a matchup thing. So in um, in week three, they had Jair shadow Emmanuel Sanders. Now, interestingly, we played him again. He didn't shadow um, Emmanuel Sanders, probably because different team, different situation, right? In week four, they put Kevin King on Alshon Jeffrey. Kind of makes sense, right? It's, he's just, he fits that kind of thing. And it, it's one of those things. And I, I, I really think that this could be a thing. And just to give you an example, here's a, here's a perfect example. Week six, they had Jair shadow Marvin Jones, Kevin King shadow Ken, Kenny Galladay. That's just one of those situations where these are just a good fit. Week five, they had Jair on Amari Cooper. So they do it. They just haven't done it in a long time. I just wouldn't be surprised if they do it again. And really, usually when they do shadow, is Jair shadowed three times. Kevin King has been a shadow twice. Only one week did they have it on the same game. Uh, same game. But Kevin King is usually locked on a guy f- for more times, right? So Jair was shadowing Marvin Jones 54% of the time. Jair shadowed Emmanuel 68% of the time. Uh, and then at Cooper was 78. Kevin King's two times shadowing 76.7% of the time on Alshon Jeffrey, 85.7% of Kenny Galladay's routes. Now, I know that didn't work out super well. That was also the last week we did any shadowing. So maybe that kind of was just like when Patton was like, all right, I'm done with this shadowing nonsense. Kevin King got beat twice on, you know, just gigantic plays, and I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. And it kind of makes sense because it, it, you know, you can't really disguise your coverage when you got a guy just following him around all the time especially when the wide receiver is beating the corners. If you got a wide receiver that's just beating the corner across from them and you're saying, we're just going to keep it this way all day, they're just going to keep throwing that way all day. So you got to disguise it a little bit. But even that's causing problems now to where it looks like Kevin King's on them and then they pass off and the pass off isn't working. So then, you know, those are the plays where it looks like Kevin King made a mistake, but really it was a safety because the safety doesn't know what they're doing. I don't know. There's a lot of problems in in coverage. And I don't know if I want to put that on, on Petten or if we should be looking at the DB coaches. Because the pass rush is going phenomenally. And if we're going to blame Petten for why Jair isn't having as good of a year as we'd like and why Kevin isn't developing the way that we like and why our safeties aren't doing as well as we had hoped and coverage in general isn't very good, are we sure we want to throw away Petten? Or maybe should we dial it back a little bit and start looking at some different DB coaches? Because, again, if we're we're going to dock him for that, we should be giving him a lot of credit for the pass rush. However, when we look at the pass rushers, we have a coach, Mike Smith, 
who is in charge of that, who is doing an unbelievable job, and I already went over the numbers, but basically we have three guys that are in a different stratosphere in terms of pressure percentage, which, again, is my favorite metric for pass rushing. Not just because the Packers are good on it this year, it's always been that way. It just, in my mind, that is the best metric for how good of a pass rusher you are. And we've got three guys above 15%. It's just unheard of. And again, you know, I've got people saying, well, you know, why isn't Rashawn playing? Well, Preston and Zedarius. Okay, well, why isn't he getting more snaps than... Uh, than Kyler Fackrell. Dude, Kyler Fackrell's doing really, really... 15%. Nobody... He's, he's, he's one of the top guys. Our number three is one of the best pass rushers right now in the NFL. Why isn't Rashawn getting more snaps? What? Who do you want to put on the bench? I mean, just based on the numbers, and I don't care if you got Brian Burns, Montez Sweat, I mean, other than Nick Bosa, there's not a rookie in this entire class that I'm putting on the field over Preston Zedarius and Kyler Fackrell. As weird as that is to say, nobody... But anyway, so as I was saying, I wouldn't be super surprised if there is a little bit of shadow coverage in this one because it's just such a easy, like they've got the small, shifty, speedy guy. They got the really tall, big, muscly guy. Like this is just, I mean, that guy's Kevin King. This is Jair. It's, it's, it's a perfect fit. But maybe they just scratched it and they're like, we're not doing that anymore. I don't know. But that's going to be the wide receiver situation with two guys. Oh, and the other thing I was going to say, in the slot then is going to be Steven Sims. He's their only other slot guy, so... Now, interestingly enough, this is a team that likes to spread it out and throw. They are in three wide receiver sets 61.3% of the time. So my first thought is, well, they'll probably just do two wide, Terry and Kelvin, and just leave Steven out of this, Sims out of this. But I don't know. This is how their offensive system works. They do three wide, which I I just think that works better for us because it it, it puts us in a situation where we get to have one more really good player, which would be Tremont, who gets put in the slot against one more really bad player against them. I'd much rather have them spread it out and throw it with us having an additional really good player than for them to keep it in tight and then force us to put like an extra linebacker out. You know, I just, I don't I don't like that situation. Um, in terms of their pass to run ratio, 60-40. So actually almost identical to what the Packers are. But uh, for reference, the Packers are 50-30 in terms of three wide compared to two wide. Um, as far as, you know, an in-depth look at stuff, I, I One thing that I would like to clarify, I mentioned how their offensive line is basically structured where they got two guys on the inside that are pretty good. Everyone else is not great. Uh, the two guys on the inside being Chase Roulier and Brandon Scherf. It should be noted, neither of them are very good pass rushers. Brandon Scherf is good, not great. Chase Roulier, good, not great. Scherf is a much better run blocker than he is a pass blocker. So these are not elite interior guys. Uh, pr- primarily talking about Kenny Clark kind of, you know, needing to have another good day and not just beating up on guys that are pathetic. These guys are good, not great. These are still the caliber of guys. Look, if, if you're losing to the top center in football, I can cut you some slack. If you're losing to Chase Roulier, who is, I mean, I don't want to call him average because technically he's above that, but he's hes pretty run-of-the-mill, good, not great. Brandon Scherf, um, now, for the most part, both of these guys have given up pretty similar numbers. They've each only given up one sack, um, you know, nine-ish hurries. 10-ish pressures. We'll just say that. Right in that range, both Brandon Scherf and Chase Roulier. One thing of, of note for Scherf, the guy has nine penalties so far this year. So I, I think he's one of those guys you, you almost want to pick on a little bit because if you can get a guy like Zadarius to kind of stunt inside of him or something, Brandon Scherf, once you get to his shoulder, his instinct is going to be turn and grab. You know what I mean? Once you're kind of like past me, I'm, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm just going to grab you and tug. Automat- and, and look, a penalty like that is, is just as good as anything else. 
Plays dead at that point, assuming the ref doesn't miss it, which isn't a guarantee because they're terrible. But those are things that they generally don't miss. There's a guy right behind the quarterback. They're basically just looking for holding calls. And if, if you know, they're past you, in other words, they're further to the referee than you are, and they see a hand come around and grab, that's that's pretty automatic. I know it's a weird angle to take and not many, but really, I, I think that is something you can attack on a guy. I mean, he's given up, he's had as many penalties as he's given up pressures. And you can kind of count those penalties as pressures, because basically, when you're getting penalized, most of the time, there might be some false starts or whatever. Most of the time, for an interior player, for a guard, it's going to be holding. So I think this would be a great, great thing, because Zadarius is very good at that. Just slipping through the cracks. He almost reminds me of Clay Matthews a little bit when he played inside linebacker, and he had that move where he would just stand at the line of scrimmage and just scoot past the offense. It was the, it was like an auto, it was weird. It was like a like a Madden glitch. Like, I used to do that all the time, where you'd put the guy on the edge, and you just have him, like, running, because you can't go past the line of scrimmage. This is probably old school. You probably can now, but I just have him sprinting at the line of scrimmage, and then when they would snap the ball, poof, you go right past him. That's what Clay would do. I don't know why we ever stopped. He should have been doing that every play since forever because I don't ever remember seeing him get blocked because he's already standing there and he can scoot past the offensive lineman before they can even stand up and it was an automatic sack. It was a Madden cheat code. But Zadarius is good at that too, at you know, slipping between the cracks. And even though they can get a hand up, he's so quick and he's so powerful that usually it's just he's already kind of through and it's a matter of him just kind of fighting through it. That Those are the kinds of things. You do that to a guy like Sheriff, he's just going to grab you. Like, oh, beat, grab him. I don't know, again, weird angle, but that's I, I think that's something that can be exploited. Especially if beforehand you kind of be like, look, you know, talk to the refs a little bit. I know that Scherf guy likes to grab, make sure you're keeping an eye on him. You know, you prime the refs a little bit. Like what Bakhtiari did in the Lions game. Like, dude, he keeps hitting me in the face. You're not calling it. Got two calls back to back. Not back to back, but pretty close together. Because he just told the ref, dude, watch for this. And then he saw hands going up in his face and maybe milked it a little bit, whatever. I'm just saying, work the refs. The refs are working us over. Why can't we work them over? All right? It's all fair and love and war and football. Why is it lo- all fair and in, in love? I kind of get war, although that's not really true. You know, Geneva Convention, whatnot. Why, what, what does that even mean? It sounds like horrible advice. <laughs> How could you do that to me? Hey, I can do whatever I want. It's, it's literally a rule. I don't know. I might have to Google that because that has to mean something that I'm, I'm not thinking of because that makes no sense. There are more rules in love than anything in the world. So many rules. What else? Everybody else is, is not super great. Uh, Morgan Moses, the tackle, is average as a pass blocker and a run blocker. Donald Penn, who I said has completely fallen off for the last two years, same situation, average pass blocker, average run blocker. And then Flowers is their left guard, same exact situation, average and average. So it's, it's not a situation like, well, He's got an average overall grade, but he's really good against the run, really good against... No, it's just they're they're just average across the board. And both of them are... All five of them are basically as good a pass blockers as they are run blockers, which I kind of think is, is what LaFleur is kind of looking for, as opposed to what Mike McCarthy and, and Ted Thompson built, which is really good pass blockers. Who cares if they can run block? We're not going to run anyways. This is... There's a little bit more balance here. The only real discrepancy would be Brandon Scherf, who is a good pass blocker and a very good run blocker. So there's that little insight. Something that everybody would like to know, looking at Dwayne Haskins as a thrower, what are the specifics on this guy? Because especially when you're thinking about rookies, the the general concept is you got to fluster them because they're just not good under pressure. In this case, 100% true. Probably true in most cases, but I can speak specifically on this one, very much true. So to give you an example, when he's not under pressure, 
which is about two-thirds of the time so far this year. Hopefully that's going to be a much worse situation for him coming to Green Bay, although that's a great number, I'm just saying. His completion percentage, general completion percentage, is 60%, 6.1 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, four interceptions. Now, for reference, he only has two touchdowns, six interceptions on his career, so it hasn't been great for Mr. Haskins. And pending some last-minute switch, he's still going to be the quarterback, which, you know, I guess at this point we might as well ride it out and just let him get the experience. Um, his adjusted completion percentage was 70%. He's had three batted passes, eight drops, which is just ridiculous, and a throwaway. I mean, the guy's only thrown the ball 60 times. How do you get eight drops? Or, I'm sorry, 100 times in eight drops. That's still 10%. That's crazy. All right, 8%. Get out of my face. I don't know how you mess that up. He's thrown the ball 100 times. <laughs> what? What is eight? It's roughly 10, I think. Now, when he's under pressure, and by the way, his, his PFF grade is a 76, so it's good. He's, he's good when not under pressure. When he is under pressure, he is 10 of 30, which is 33.3%. Again, I can do that math, which is his adjusted completion percentage is 48%. That's still horrible. So adjusted, which means we take away all the batted passes, we take away all the drops, which there are two, and we take away all the throwaways, which there are four. Also, I think we're taking away hit as he throws, which is one. So we're, we're removing seven throws from the equation. You still only have a 48% completion percentage. That's really bad. On top of that, you're only completing passes 5.8 yards per attempt, and you are zero touchdowns, two interceptions under pressure. I, I tell you what, I, I have a taco bet with my buddy, um, a.k.a. half-Mexican lawyer Blaine Patino. If you're in the Milwaukee area and looking for legal representation, contact Patino Law Offices. I think that's the name. I don't know. It should come up on Google. But we have a taco bet. I don't even remember the details, but it was something to the effect of Kevin King will have a high PFF grade, not even high. It was like 70 or something, which he's never going to get there. Or he gets, I think it was five interceptions. He's at four. I think I'm going to lose a taco bet this week. You know, because just the six interceptions, dude. Six interceptions, 133 attempts. Whew. So, I mean, the cool thing is he's throwing picks like once every 22 throws. And so, I mean, he's going to throw the ball between... I mean, j- just based on average, it's not that unlikely that he doesn't throw two picks. I mean, against the Jets, he threw the ball 47 times. That should be two picks. Actually, I lied. It was 35 times, but there were still two picks in that game. No, there wasn't. There was one. There was two touchdowns. Oh, that was the only game he had a touchdown. That's an interesting tidbit. <laughs> His two touchdowns came against the Jets. He had zero touchdowns, three interceptions against the Giants. I won't count. Well, I can count Minnesota. He only, oh my goodness, five passes and one pick against Minnesota. Didn't have a pick against Buffalo. Had one interception against the Jets, and that was his only two touchdowns. Had zero touchdowns against Detroit and had a pick. Carolina, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. So at his best, (laughs) at Dwayne Haskins' best, he is zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Maybe you could say the Jets were his best game, two touchdowns, one interception. I guess you would take that. But wow. The only games in which he hasn't thrown a pick, he also hasn't thrown a touchdown. Yikes. He's also only thrown for over 200 yards once. That was also against the Jets. So, yeah. That's, that's, that's good stuff. <laughs> it's real good. It's all good in my hood. Oh, I'm in the hood. You don't even know. Don't judge me. It's because I live in Wisconsin. You don't think I could be hard? Leave me alone. Maybe you quit teasing me. I'll show you how hard I am. What else? Um, how about running the ball? So, Darius Geis is the guy. Uh, again, he's been having some injury issues, so he's only played four games thus far. But he is averaging 5.5 yards per attempt. 
That's really good. That's what Aaron Jones did his first two years. He's a legit running back. Again, the biggest issue has just been staying on the field. He doesn't even have that good of an offensive line. They don't have a passing attack, so I'm guessing he's getting you know pretty stacked boxes regularly. I'm fairly certain that's exactly what uh, what the Packers are going to plan to do. But he's a good back. Um, the one really interesting thing, he's never had more than 10 attempts in a game, which, again, starting to feel a lot like uh, Aaron Jones. <laughs> also should be noted the 5.5 yards per carry is almost entirely because of what he did to Carolina. So, so let me just break this down week by week here. And granted, there's injuries mixed in. There's all kinds of stuff. But he played in week one. He had 10 attempts for 18 yards, which is 1.8 yards per attempt. That's not good. He came back in week 11. So he's played week 11, 12, and 13. And I don't know if they're holding him back just because they got the whole rotation thing or what. But against the Jets, seven attempts, only seven, for 24 yards, which is 3.4 yards per attempt. That's also not great. He also doesn't have a touchdown in either of these games so far. He's only had one first down in either of these first two games, and he has zero runs for more than 10 yards. Then he goes up against Detroit in Week 12. Again, 10 attempts, only 32 yards, 3.2 yards per attempt, only one first down. One of these runs was a 10-plus yard run, which is great until you realize he had one carry of more than 10 yards, and he still only had 3.2, but also his longest was only 11 yards. So three games, two first downs, zero touchdowns, averaging like three yards a carry, maybe a little less. His yards after contact are very minimal, and his longest run of the year was 11 yards. So three games, no production. Then he plays Carolina, only 10 carries, but 129 yards, so 12.9 yards per carry, two touchdowns, five um, first downs, two carries for 10 plus yards, his longest being 60. So what does all this mean? In four games, he's had one good play. That's that's what all this means. You take away a 60-yard touchdown run, he had nine carries for 60 yards, which is still six yards per carry. But basically what this is, is Carolina played like garbage. So Darius Geis is a good back. He's a guy that can definitely hurt you. 5'11", 225, 449 speed. I mean, that, that's a, in and of itself, that's impressive, but he's just a good back. He had his best game last week. Don't want to underestimate him, but the raw numbers of four games... 203 yards, 5.5 per attempt, two touchdowns, seven first downs, 4.89 yards after contact, 60 yards is his longest. If you just see that stat line, which, you know, not talking trash necessarily, but a lot of other podcasts and a lot of things you see on Twitter are just the raw numbers. Same thing I said with Washington. You get the raw numbers that say they're the worst offense in history, but if you look at it a little more closely, they haven't really been that bad the last three or four weeks. They also have had a new head coaching change, which the first few weeks with the new head coach have been bad, but then the last three weeks, bad but not as bad, which would lead me to believe that the new head coach is actually getting somewhat of a rhythm going. So let's let's look at them for what they are today and not what they have been throughout the year. That makes sense? The exact opposite with Darius Geis. Real good stat line. He's a good back. But in reality, he's played four times. They don't utilize him very much, and he's been bad in three of those four games. And maybe the reason they don't utilize him very much is because he actually has been struggling a little bit, which I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the offensive line. That isn't great, as we talked about. Now, the guy that has been getting, you know, basically been splitting carries is uh, Adrian Peters. So he's also been getting roughly 10 per week. But let's just look at the last three weeks, the same ones as Darius Geis, just to give you an idea. And and this is actually very good news because it's very similar. So against the Jets, nine attempts, 25 yards, 2.8 yards per attempt. That's terrible. Against Detroit, 10 attempts, 27 yards, 2.7 yards per attempt. That's terrible. Against Carolina, 13 attempts, 99 yards, 7.6 uh, per. 
Uh, Carolina also was the only game in the, those weeks. And by the way, he's only got two touchdowns on the year. Carolina, he got a touchdown. He had five first downs in that game, only did that once in another game that was against Miami. Ten carries of over 10 yards. I'm sorry, four carries. He only ran it 13 times. Four carries of over 10 yards. He only done that once. That was against Buffalo, and he's only done it 16 times the entire season. It was his highest yards after contact, meaning that the Carolina Panthers were just horrible in tackling in this game. His longest was 22 yards. That was his fourth longest run of the year. So bottom line, if you look at the Jets and Detroit, these guys could not run at all. However, Adrian Peterson, and we've also seen it with Darius Geis, against certain teams do really well. They did really well against Carolina. Um, AP has also played a lot more games, so we can look at his yards per attempt. So one week prior to that against Buffalo, he had six yards per attempt. A week before that against Minnesota, 5.4. San Francisco, 4.1. Miami, 5.1. And then New England, 2.6. The Giants, 2.5. Chicago, 3.1. Dallas, 2.5. So it's real up and down, and it's not 100% based on how good or bad a team is. The, the, the tricky thing is, again, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you these are good backs, including Adrian Peters. They're dangerous backs. I shouldn't say good because that kind of denotes just good all the time, well-rounded. They're dangerous backs. Kind of like Dalvin Cook in a way. You know, we had Dalvin bottled up for most of that game when we played him, but then you get that giant breakaway. I mean, if you look at him from on, on any given play, if you just threw a dart at a play, it was probably going to be a bad play for Minnesota. But if you look at the overall stats, he destroyed the Packers because he had like three really big runs. And really just that one really big run for a touchdown was enough to just, that just seals his stats for the day. So I don't know. I don't know what we're going to see. They've been a really up and down team as far as a running team, but this is an area where they can hurt us. They just destroyed Carolina on the ground. And that's what they're going to try to do to us because they're not very good through the air. Haskins is not very good. They know we're going to try to get him under duress. And so it's a very simple formula. We want Haskins to throw, and we want to attack him with the pass rush because it's just an automatic win. If if he's throwing every single down, just hypothetical now, throwing every single down and we're getting pressure on him, it's it, the game is so far over, it's not even close. So what they want, to, they do want to be able to throw, but the only way they're going to do that is to get us to back off from our just super aggressive pass rush, and one way to do that is to run the ball a lot and to run the ball effectively. Because it not only causes us to want to, you know, stack the box and focus on the run, but you don't want to overextend. It causes hesitation in the pass rushers, right? Because if, if you're just shooting straight into the backfield real quick, that's just a massive hole. And unfortunately, with, with the linebackers we have, those holes aren't super filled, you know? So it causes delays and hesitations, and that causes the pass rush to back off, et cetera, et cetera. So our main focus coming in is going to be stack the box, don't let them run. And if we can do that, I think we've got a real good chance of winning the game. The other two guys that they have are uh, Wendell Smallwood and Chris Thompson. Chris Thompson primarily is going to be getting mixed in uh, a fair amount. He gets three, four carries a game, um, and he's actually been pretty solid. The last three weeks, his, he's got four carries for 21 yards, three carries for 12, three for 14, which is 5.34 and 4.7 yards per carry in each of those games. Um, he's had two bad games, but you know when you run the ball only a couple times, that's what happens. But for the most part, he's he's you know four-ish yards per carry. But the biggest thing with Chris Thompson is that he's a receiver. Um, His receiving numbers have gone down a little bit, but I think this is another area where they could try to attack the Green Bay Packers because of, you know, they're they're limited. They don't have tight ends. They got Terry McLaurin. They've got their running backs. The only other thing that they really got, especially if they're going to try to stress the linebackers, is going to be a guy like Chris Thompson. Uh, Chris Thompson, he's got, so far this year, 28 receptions for 291 yards. 
So, you know, 10.4 yards per reception. If you look at his yards after the catch, it's 254. So 254 of his 291 have come after the catch, which means a lot of these passes are behind the line of scrimmage and he just gets all his yards, which is crazy when the guy's catching passes at or around the line of scrimmage and his average after the catch is 10.4 yards or his average yards per reception is 10.4 yards. His average yards after the catch per reception is 9.1. So, so let to be specific, the average catch is at about one yard past the line of scrimmage, and he averages about nine yards after that. So every catch is basically a first down. So yeah, we got to watch him a little bit. He hasn't had his greatest year ever. He hasn't. He's only had one week where he graded out as good as a receiver. That was against the Giants. Five targets, four receptions for 56 yards. He doesn't have a single touchdown this year, so they don't obviously target him in the red zone. But you know, he's one of those guys between the 20s. He can do a little bit of damage and move the sticks and whatnot. And then Wendell Smallwood. Um, very similar. He actually hasn't run the ball in, in about three weeks, but uh, they've upped his, his receptions over the last, I don't know, five or so. But he, he is a factor. I, I'd, I'd mention him because he's going to be in there at least once or twice to either run the ball or, or catch a pass. But he's, you know, he's another guy. He's five foot ten, four four seven speed. You're not really super paying attention to him. He's got nine receptions for 64 yards, which is 7.1 per reception. 5.9 um, yards after the catch. So, you know, they're, they're kind of a sneaky team. Everyone's focused on Terry McLaurin. Everyone's focused on AP and Darius Guy. But then you get a guy like Chris Thompson that just destroys you in this game, right? It's kind of like the Tariq Cohen of the Bears. You're not really super thinking about him, but then you realize it's a, it's a mismatch and the defense doesn't have an answer for it. And it's like, oh, we just come on. Anyways, wow, we are at foot. This is what happens on a Saturday. We didn't take a break yet. Let's take a break and uh, we'll flip it over to defense and see what we can glean from that. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So the major proclamations that I had made, they don't really have good pass rushers. They've got one good corner, and he's a very good corner. You know, decent interior guys, maybe a good linebacker, and, and Landon Collins being okay. That, that was sort of what I said yesterday. So let's start with pass rush. Matt Ioannidis is an interior guy. He's sort of, I would say, like Dean Lowry. Now, not necessarily 2019 Dean Lowry, but he's, he's sort of the tall, long, better at pass rush than run defense, but not inept as a run defender. Again, Dean Lowry comes immediately to mind. He is currently their number one pass rusher. So effectively, it would be kind of like if we had a team and Dean Lowry was our number one pass rusher, which we've been close to those kinds of situations, especially with injuries <laughs> to guys like Kenny Clark and, and Mike Daniels. But as a comparison, because it makes it easier to, you know, I guess visualize what I'm saying. Ioannidis, again, is their top pass rusher in terms of total pressure. Now, this isn't pressure percentage. This is just, you know, the guy who's most likely to get a pressure because he has the most, because he rushes the passer more often. Whatever the case is, he's got the most pressures. He's got the most sacks. 
He's got the most hurries, second most hits, whatever. He has 38 total pressure. That would be fourth on our team. Now, he's heads and tails above Dean Lowry because they've got actually a similar number of of pressures, and uh, Dean Lowry has exactly half the amount of pressures because he's just, you know, he got paid and he's completely fallen off, which doesn't make me very happy. Not saying it's a direct correlation. I've been working on logic with my daughter, and I know that that's not how that works. But um, still, it it doesn't make you happy to see that. When, when, you know, some guys get paid and they step up, Zadarius. Some guys get paid and they fall off. And, and, And sometimes, look, Maybe the fall-off was eminent either way, imminent, eminent, eminent, and we just paid him at the wrong time. That also happens. I don't know. But um, he would be third in front of Kyler Fackrell behind Preston Smith. But to be clear, Kyler Fackrell has way less, almost half the amount of, of pressures, meaning pressure percentage, Kyler Fackrell's actually higher. But whatever. So so he's he's their number one guy is below Zadarius, below Kenny Clark, below Preston Smith. Their number one edge rusher, and they, they've got um, their number two and their number three, but their number two is Ryan Kerrigan with 34 total pressures. Their number three is Montez Sweat with 23 pressures. Now, 23 pressures is what Kyler Fackrell has. He has 21, but Montez Sweat has had 250 pass rush attempts. Kyler Fackrell has been literally as effective as Montez Sweat with 104, about 110 less attempts. Pretty close to half the amount of attempts he's had just as many pressures. So, I mean, they, they just, they don't have anything. After that is Jonathan Allen with 23. He's had a ton of attempts. Uh, Deron Payne with 17 on 200, almost 300 attempts, and he has 17 uh, pressures. That's kind of like Dean Lowry, but if Dean Lowry had like 40 more attempts. So the pass rush isn't super there. Now, Ioannidis does have eight sacks, which is a pretty high number. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. I mean, it's, it's, I guess, better than 50% chance he gets a sack in this game, just based on statistics. Um, And he, and and actually several people, and this is really the biggest problem with the Green Bay Packers, not really in terms of pressures, but just in terms of sacks. You got Zadarius with 12, you got Preston with 11, and then you have Kenny with three. I was really hoping this was going to be like an eight to 10 sack year for Kenny Clark, and it just doesn't. Now he's doing fine in terms of pressures. He's number two on the team. He's ahead of Preston Smith as far as pressures. Now he's got a ton more attempts, literally, I mean, a hundred more. Man, Kenny Clark has 390 attempts. That's wild. I mean, Zadarius has 393, but he has 70 pressures. So anyways, that's sort of where we're at. So um, as far as percentages, because I I like to use those, and I feel like I've done a pretty good job of explaining to everyone how those work, at least my criteria. Ryan Kerrigan, just looking at their edge rushers, is at 11.7%. That's not bad. So I guess it's kind of either a refresher or a clarification. Below 10 means you're bad. Between 10... I don't know, 10 and 12 is acceptable. 12 is when you start to get into the, that's pretty good category. That's kind of like, again, where, you know, Kenny and uh, Mike Daniels were in that 12 to 13. That's that's pretty good. So 11.7 is somewhere between, you know, decent and good, I guess. I don't know. Montez Sweat is at 9.2, which is just not good. I mean, it's not horrible, horrible, but it's, I mean, it's not, he's not a good pass rusher. It's below 10%. That's That's the threshold. You got to at least be to 10 before I'm even going to take you seriously. I think it's kind of around where Rashawn is, just to give you some perspective. Um, Jonathan Allen is below 10%. I can do the math in my head on that one. Deron Payne is, jeez, he's at 5.7. Deron Payne has no, I mean, he's, he's a good run defender. He's, he's, I, <laughs> I expect nothing from him by way of pass rush. And then Ryan Anderson is around 10%. So, so they, they've got guys that are just kind of, 
they're okay. I mean, it's it's not like they're so inept they're never going to get to Rodgers. No, I mean, they're, they're capable, and they've got enough capable guys between Ioannidis, um, Kerrigan, who is leader of the Zerg. Man, I want to play StarCraft so bad right now. I miss that game. I wonder if my wife would let me nerd out today and play StarCraft. Probably not. Anyways, they they it's reminiscent of what the Packers have had in the past. Maybe, what would it be, two years ago? Let me go back a little bit here. Yeah, so so 2017, Clay Matthews, 10%. Nick Perry, 10%. Mike Daniels, 10%. Kenny Clark, 10%, right? It was just a, kind of across the board. You know what? Kyler Fackrell was our best pass rusher in 2017. He was 11%. Everyone else was around 10 Back when we were making fun of him, he was still our best pass rusher. I mean, based on pressure percentage, his grade was lower than Kenny, Daniels, Perry, and Matthews, and just abysmal run defender. I mean, the signs were there. This is why digging into PFF, you know, you kind of look at these things. If I was paying more attention, I could have been saying that kind of stuff, and it would be another thing to brag about. Again, the more you dig into PFF, the more historically correct I tend to be. That's why I like PFF. You want to rag on them, fine, but they get stuff right. And seeing him emerge as one of the better pass rushers on the team, it was all sitting there since at least 2017. He was 11% in 2016. What is going on right now? So at least in this category, he's always been a good pass rusher. He struggles in a lot of areas, but his ability to create pressure on at least 10% of his attempts has been there since the day he was drafted. 11% has been his minimum. And now this year, in year, what is it, four? He's at 15%. Dude, I tell you what, you want to talk about the most underrated guy on the football team right now, it's Kyler Fackrell. I mean, Tremont is in the conversation, but I mean, it has to be Kyler. It has to be. I mean, underrated on the team historically. Maybe not, you know, all of history. I'm not even going to touch that. But I mean, we've been trashing this guy since the day. Even last year, he had double-digit sacks, and we we laughed about it. Like, <laughs> it's funny because it's cute, but he's not that good. Dude, we have three really good pass rushers. They have deficiencies. Zadarius hasn't been good against the run. Kyler's never been good against the run. Preston, you know, his pressure percentage isn't super high, but his sacks are really high. Whatever we want to nitpick, dude, we have three guys that there's a lot of teams. Any one of these three guys goes to another team, and they're the number one pass rusher. We got three, and we're crying about Rashawn not being what we want to do. If he turns a corner, oh, now, interesting tidbit. I'm just going to say this because it's on, on my mind right now, and I know I'm a rabbit trail of a rabbit trail. With Rashawn, and I know a lot of people don't believe in him, but whatever, the team obviously has to and Zadarius, and Preston, would it be true that maybe Kyler Fackrell is more valuable to another team and he actually carries a decent amount of trade value and we look at trading him? I don't think that's impossible. I'm not saying I want him gone, and I don't think the Packers want him gone. It's just a matter of he's going to be relegated to very limited snaps because we have Preston and we have Zadarius and we need Rashawn to step up to a bigger role, and that's just how teams tend to operate. They're not going to look at it and say, whatever, he's garbage, don't worry about it. No, he was he was a very early draft pick. He's going to get more snaps, whether he likes it or anybody likes it or not. Is Kyler potential trade bait? A guy that this year, I mean, you want to talk about peaked. He's not getting 15% ever again. If he can maintain 15%, literally one of the best pass rushers we have as our number three, that is that is, that is as, as blatant a, a, a trade tri- chip as I've ever seen. Just throw that out there now before I forget, and when it happens later, I can say, see, I told you. And if it doesn't, it was just a minor little note that you won't remember anyways. That's how I do it, man. Until I replay this episode on, on this day in history next year, and then you can laugh at me. Because we're going to keep him, and Preston will be hurt, and he'll be our best pass rusher, and you're going to call me dumb. Anyways, so that's that's that. They are the 2017 Packers. They got a bunch of 10 percenters. 
Not the worst, not the best, whatever. In terms of coverage, Quinton Dunbar is the guy. Not just in coverage, he's great against the run, really, really good tackler, and an elite coverage guy. He's, he's the number one overall corner on PFF right now. Again, another one of those guys that because of his name recognition isn't super high, and because he's on a garbage team, nobody cares. But he's, I mean, you know, arguably, it's not definitive because PFF says so, but, I mean, he's at least a top five corner. They're not off by that much. Um, he's got 36 tackles, only missed one tackle this entire year. 16 stops, which are impactful tackles. And again, we're talking about a corner here. Um, targeted 52 times, only 29 of those 52 have ca- or caught, so a little over half. Um, only given up 344 yards this year, which is, I mean, it's a big number, but compare that to 800-yarder Kevin King or whatever, he's got 700. 790, Jair's given up 611, so the only guy that would be comparable would be Tremont. So, so I mean, if you take the best attributes of each guy, we can create a Dunbar. Right? Uh, Kevin King has 47 tackles, but he also has 11 misses. But if we take the Tremont misses, only three, then we got, you know, we got our tackler who doesn't miss. Stops, Kevin King has 12. It's not 16, but it's a lot. 55% reception percentage, only Jair has that number. So you take that from Jair. You take the total yards given up, you take that from Tremont. And really, that's that's a fair comparison because you would think Tremont hasn't been on the field nearly as much. They're almost identical in terms of the amount of snaps that they've been on the field. Jair is the only one that's that's got way more snaps than everybody. Dunbar has 358 snaps. Tremont has 370. Kevin King has 382. Jair has 473. So when we compare apples to apples in terms of yardage given up, let's try to remember that uh, Jair has been on the field about 100 more snaps than Kevin King, 103 more than Tremont, 120 more than Quinton Dunbar. Just saying. Yards per reception, he's only given up 11.9. We don't have a guy that's even close to that. The best we have is Tremont at 15, Jair is 15.7, Kevin King is 17.6. The big part of the reason I'm doing this, though, is because there's been a, a big thing, I saw it on Twitter a little bit in the Facebook group, about comparing Kevin King's numbers to other really good corners numbers and trying to draw some kind of weird parallel between the two. It just, that's just not how this works, though. I mean, look, credit where it's due, that's fine. Four picks is great. But it's a very small number, and, and picks are a very fleeting thing. I mean, you, you got guys that'll get two or three picks in a game. On, on I mean, super fluky. That very rarely happens. But, I mean, then you can do nothing for the rest of the year. Are we really going to look at you and be like, dude, that was a great year, four picks on the season? No, you got three of them in a you know. So really, it's it's the down-to-down production that is most impressive. Getting four picks in a season, whatever. Uh, the longest play he's given up is 34 yards. We don't have a guy that's done that. Not a corner between the three that we have, so we we can't even build a Quentin Dunbar, but we're trying. He's only given up two touchdowns. That's on par with Tremont. He's got four picks. Kevin King has four. And as far as pass breakups, pretty much everybody on the Packers is better than Quentin Dunbar. He has four pass breakups. Well, Tremont isn't, but uh, Kevin King has eight. Jair has 12, which, you know, take into account again the, uh, the amount of coverage snaps, and Kevin King and Jair are probably pretty close on that one. But then you got passer rating, 56.9, which kind of just takes all of this together. And, you know, again, nobody's really close. Tremont is our, our best in terms of, of passer rating when targeted at 88.3. So, you know, again, the, the side-by-side side between Dunbar and King, that ain't happening. Dunbar's heads and tails better in terms of production. He's, he's done better than Jair. He's done better than Tremont. This isn't just trying to pick on Kevin King, but since everyone wants to point out how Kevin King has... As good a numbers as the best corners in football. Again, this is why I have to be hard on Kevin King. If you would have said that about Jair, I would have come down hard about Jair. But nobody's doing that. Nobody's doing that. 
Everybody just wants to sit on Kevin King and talk about how great he is because he has four interceptions. whoop de friggin do I'm really not that impressed by that. I'm just not. Because they're, they're just these fleeting things. I don't know how else to say it than that. Inter- interceptions happen. Darnell Savage got a pick, and it was because he was way out of position and somebody threw a football at him. Am I going to throw a parade for the guy? Kevin King's had, you know, that last pick that he got. He was standing in a position to be facing the quarterback. The quarterback basically threw the ball right to him. I mean, he, to be honest, the pass breakup he had later, I was more impressed by that than the interception. The interception is because, listen, things I'm impressed by are when you can do things that you look at a lot of other players, they wouldn't have been able to do that. Sidarius is impressive because he's doing things that nobody else can do. You give every you give other edge rushers the opportunities, and they're not getting the production that Zedarius is getting. You put every single corner in the position of Kevin King on every single one of his interceptions. I guarantee you, every single other corner in the NFL has four picks, with the exception of a couple that get a weird drop. Right there, there are a couple interceptions that are really, really impressive. Jair has had some. I remember last year where he's flying across the field and grabs it one hand. Those are impressive interceptions. The fact that you happen to be standing where a ball is when it gets tipped or it gets thrown to you er- erroneously or whatever, I'm just not super impressed by that. Give me the pass breakups. Give me tight coverage. Shut a guy down for a day. That's impressive. Don't give up 800 yards through 12 games. That would be impressive. Don't give up 17.6 yards per reception. Don't give up four touchdowns. That's impressive to me. Well, I mean, it's not because a lot of people have given up not four touchdowns. But you, you get my criteria, right? It, it, it's not a very complex thing. Given the situation, how many people would have been able to do what you do? The reason Jair gets a lot more credit than Kevin King, despite the fact that they're somewhat evenly distributed in terms of a lot of things, and granted Jair is super overhyped and Kevin King's maybe a little underhyped, but the reason being is the things Jair do are those kinds of things that drop your jaw where you look at it and go, that is crazy. And the reason it's exciting is because it does, you put Kevin King in that spot, he's not doing that. You put Tremont in that spot, he's not doing that. You go across the league, there are a handful of guys that are able to make the plays that Jair makes. Now, he makes a bunch of mistakes, and that's terrible, but the reason he gets more hype is because he's doing things. He has the ability to create plays that a lot of other guys don't. That is deserving of praise. Having a ball tipped into your hands... I'm sorry, I know it looks good on the stat sheet, I don't super care. I'm excited, I'm glad you got the pick, it's great for the team, but I'm not going to say this is why he's better than everyone else, because that's stupid. That is a stupid statement. You're not better than everyone else because you did something that literally a defensive tackle could have made that play. If a, if a defensive tackle can do it, that isn't a reason to point to you and say, this is why you're a great corner, because you did things that literally I could do. Forget defensive tackle, I could. my son could make some of these interceptions. He's five. He catches some crazy passes. I promise you, if a ball gets lobbed in the air, he's going to catch a bunch of them. Now, I'm somewhat overstating it, but you, I mean, you get my point. And I, I didn't want to end this on doing this again. But again, everybody's coming out with, check out Kevin King's stats compared to this guy's stats. Stop it. He's having another bad year. That's the end of the conversation. He's having some ups, some downs, more downs than ups. He's leading the leagues in in, in yardage given up. He's give, given up a ton of yards per reception. He's blowing plays left and right. Sometimes he gets credit for things that aren't his fault. I get that. It's not a good year. And it's not a good year for Jair either. But again, you don't have anybody talking about Jair. Oh, look, he's the greatest in the NFL. Occasionally. I saw one guy one time when he was putting together a list of the best corners and you get some Packer fans. Oh, you forgot about Jair. Nah, dude, Jair doesn't belong in the top 10. I I believe in him. I like him. Same way I believe in Kevin King and like him in certain aspects. But we got to stop.
Neither of them are in the top 10 of anything. They're struggling a lot. A lot of these big plays are problematic, and maybe it's communication issues. Maybe it's safeties not doing their job or so-and-so not doing this or that, but they're not doing good enough. And, and we can play this game where we pretend that it's all everybody else's fault and not Kevin King or Jair's fault. You've seen the plays. I, I have burned into my, my memory. I mean, the, the funniest thing ever is wide receivers getting penalized for a push-off because when they run a curl route, Kevin King literally takes five steps in the continuing in the wrong direction and falls down, and the ref goes, I'm throwing a flag because obviously he was pushed, except he wasn't. He's just lacking agility to that degree because when he's running in the wrong direction and somebody stops and turns, he takes five steps continuing in that direction because he can't stop. I mean, come on, man. What are, what are we going to crown that guy with? I, I love what he does in certain areas. I'm glad that I got to hype him up a little bit, but please stop it. Please stop it. Well, look, four touchdowns, four touchdowns. Same guy. <laughs> okay. I mean, you, you, you know that's not right, right? You know that. I hope you know that. I mean, trying to give credit where it's due, fine. I'll give him credit for four, four picks, but again, I, I don't super care about that. It's the same reason why I don't really talk about sacks. I talk about pressure percentage. I'm not just saying it because it, Kevin King has a lot. I'm just saying it because I think it's the truth. What you're doing on a down-by-down, snap-by-snap basis matters more to me than a couple of fluky plays, and that includes sacks. I look at sacks the same way I look at picks. Sacks are great, and they're super impactful, but they happen for a variety of reasons, and they're both very fleeting. Winning down-to-down, winning in critical situations, which Zadarius and Kevin King, no question, he shows up in critical situations, and I love that. But, I mean, you know, can can we just agree on this? I mean, do we have to argue about this? I'm just, I'm so bored with it. Please stop. The secondary as a whole is not doing good. I don't know that there's any reason to hype anybody right now in the secondary. I'm, I mean, I'm not, some guys are, I mean, Tremont is, is doing a good job. I think Amos is doing a decent enough job. But, I mean, let, let's not crown anybody with anything. I mean, if you want to hype Tremont, that's all. I mean, he's, what, what is he, 46? Best corner on the team? That's worthy of at least that much praise. But, I mean, look, we, we should demand better because they're talented enough to be better. There's no reason this can't be top 10 coverage unit. Savage, Amos, Jair, King, and Williams. Dude, that's awesome with Ibrahim at linebacker. But let's demand better and stop defending what they're doing right now. Because essentially, you're saying this is good enough, and it's not. They are better. Let's expect better. And stop saying Kevin King is as good as the best players in football. You're being silly. And as I always say, he's not watching. Okay, if your goal here is to hope that Kevin King sees that and then gives you a big old thumbs up and then goes on Instagram and makes a big video about how you're the best fan in the world and he wants to be your friend and you guys are going to hang out all the time, I mean, you can give up that dream. Lord knows I've given up that dream because nobody on this team listening likes me. I can guarantee that. But that's fine. I don't, you know, I'm a fan of the team and I root for the players. I don't have to be best friends. Don't care. I make fun of Kevin King, Zedarius ripped me off, even Steven. Anyways, I've been rambling long enough. That's sort of the the in-depth in terms of their ability to rush the passer. Good, not great. Uh, Coverage is primarily, I mean, it's Quentin Dunbar. I mean, I guess I can a little bit as far as the other guy, but I won't because as I'm going down this list, I mean, it's, geez, the corners are, because when I order it by coverage grade, you got corner, linebacker, corner that isn't playing. Safety, edge rusher, defensive lineman, safety, defensive lineman, linebacker, edge rusher, edge rusher, edge rusher, edge rusher, safety, edge rusher, and then corner, who isn't playing, and then defensive lineman, and then uh, Jimmy Moreland. 
I mean, literally, all those people, defensive linemen and edge rushers, granted, not a lot of opportunities, but it's still hilarious. And then a couple corners that are are not playing. Aaron Colvin and um, who is the other guy? And Greg Stroman have played a combined 11 snaps this year. I'm assuming there's some injuries in there. But Jimmy Moreland is 18th on this list in terms of coverage grade behind all of these guys. And he is the first below average guy. So so basically you've got Quentin Dunbar, a bunch of guys that are average or higher, which are defensive linemen, linebackers, and safeties. And then when you get down into the below average category, that's where the other corners are. Jimmy Moreland, 111.2 passer rating when targeted. He's only got two pass breakups, no interceptions, given up a touchdown, given up 81% of, of the targets, which is higher than any of the Packers corner. Uh, Josh Norman, which, again, the name recognition thing. And that, that was another thing, somebody, they compared him to Josh Norman. Why? Josh Norman is terrible. Maybe maybe that was the one in the Facebook group. I don't know, but, I mean, he's really, really bad. So, yeah, Josh Norman has four pass breakups and a pick, and Kevin King is better than that. Yes, because Kevin King is a better corner than Josh Norman. I'm not going to argue with you on that. I mean, Josh Norman has given up seven touchdowns this year. Seven. All three of our corners have given up nine combined. I mean, Kevin King and and Jair have given up seven total. Josh Norman's given up seven by himself. He's given up 468 yards, 15.1 yards per reception, which is right about where the, you know, King and Jair are. So he's as bad in terms of giving up a ton of yards. He's given up 68.9%. I mean, so he's he's kind of in line with... He, he's, he's almost the opposite. If you take the worst attribute from all the Packers, right, 68.9 is like Kevin King. You know, 15.1 yards per reception is, you know, like... Kevin King, although that was 17, so that'd be Jair, I think 15. Seven touchdowns given up is, I don't even know, is is two of our worst combined. One interception is one less than our lowest guy, which is uh, Tremont with, I think he has two, right? Tremont? Yeah, Tremont has two. Well, Jair has one. So it's, it's yeah, you take the worst from Jair with one. That's that's Josh Norman. And, and again, I know the name recognition thing. Coming into this game, if I didn't have PFF and look at this, uh, again, a lot, even... You know, when, when the new grades come out, I'm looking at a lot of other teams, so I like to see what guys are doing, and I see guys like Quentin Dunbar that, you know, whatever. But if I didn't have this and was doing this record regularly, I would just assume Josh Norman is their top corner. Not even close. The only guy worse than him is Dominique rogers Cromartie, and he only played in two games, so it was a limited sample size. Josh Norman is horrible. Horrible. As weird as it sounds, that's the guy we're going to try to pick on. Dunbar is going to be on Devontae Adams. And if they, and if they don't, I, I got to look at this. I know I said I was going to be done a long time ago, but I can't stop running my mouth. Washington has shadowed twice. It was in weeks one and two, so they're not going to shadow anyone. And it was Josh Norman. Oh, so if, oh, I hope, oh my goodness. I Hold on. We're not done here. We're not done. One, one more little thingy to look at here. I want to see game by game who's covering who. Oh, so he, he hasn't even been playing that much. So I, I think they've kind of given up on him. I don't see him on the injury report. But he, he was clearly their number one corner, and then they must have made a switch. Um, in week 12, he didn't play. Oh, it was because of a hamstring injury, though. Man, I, I, so basically what I'm getting at is I really, really hope they still think this is their number one corner. And maybe it's because they're paying him. I have no idea. But in week 12, he was out with a hamstring. Week 13, he only played four snaps. I'm really hoping... He's back healthy, and they put him as our number one against Devontae because it is so, 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 so far over if that's the case. Because in week 11, 56 snaps. So it went from 56 to nothing to four. So I don't know. That would be a great question for any Washington Redskins fan um, if they still have Josh Norman as their top. Because I know they did at the beginning of the year. He was, he was shadowing 
top receivers. They stopped doing that real quick, but I'm, I'm wondering if they put Dunbar as their top guy. Because if you see Josh Norman across from Adams, it's, it's, it's beyond over. Because Josh Norman is really, really, really bad. And again, as I've said several times, he was good one year, that's it. He's never been good since he went to Washington, ever. And there was a change of scheme that went from zone to man, which is a whole big thing when he was getting all cocky and you got guys like Richard Sherman like, dude, you play zone. You're not even that good of a corner. That's not even a thing. Which is a good distinction, right? Man coverage is just a different animal. Granted, it's a different skill set and whatever, but I think it takes a much more talented player to be a good press man corner, which is what Jair and Kevin King are being asked to do. But anyways, we're way down the rabbit hole here. That's interesting. I, I, I would love to have an answer. If anyone has an answer to that question, let me know. Uh, going quite a bit here. After this, I want to get the, uh, the stock market thing done, so watch out for that and also this day in history. But you folks, have yourselves a great day. And back your game tomorrow. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.